Good morning. Here I am, your guest, for a couple weeks, and how the mood has changed from last week to this, to get a phone call during the week to hear of what has occurred to your beloved pastor, interim pastor, uh, Mitch Klein. I, I've known Mitch, I suppose, maybe, maybe close to 40 years. Um, certainly the last 20, uh, 25, uh, even more so. And I guess I come to you today uh, not as a guest speaker as much as another pastor. And I want to say to you how encouraging it is, first of all, to see you here and to demonstrate your faith in a loving God through, through the worship, the words of those songs, this prayer time. As a pastor visiting, it just does my heart such good to see faith in action. And maybe your faith isn't as strong as somebody else's, but, uh, but corporately, you are demonstrating trust in God in a very hard time. As a pastor, I've endured a number of hard times. It's not my story time to tell those kinds of stories. I just know that when God allows crises to hit, it is in many ways a way of revealing how much he trusts you, that he would allow you to go through this and exercise your faith in, in whole new ways. So God bless you and Thank you for trusting God in the midst of this. Last week I was here, and in my usual lighthearted uh, approach, I told my stories, and I knocked off my crown and got recrowned as Miss America, and I um, was building my concepts that I was sharing off of Psalm 11, and verse 3 in particular, when the foundations are being destroyed, what do the righteous do? But the verse right before that says, why flee to the mountains? Or should I, you should flee to the mountains. And the response, of course, of David is, why should I flee? And I thought it was only fair that I would come back and say, you do know that there were times when David did flee. And so I, I thought I'd look at a couple psalms, and these psalms are sort of built around this one idea. What do you do when life is not working? I don't know about you, but I, I, I said last week that I had this experience in my own life as a pastor getting out of seminary at age 25, jumping into the, uh, the church world and standing up and beginning to tell people how life worked and over time discovered that my life wasn't working and it made, made a lot of tension in my life. I actually, as I told you, dropped out of ministry for a five-year period to let God do a whole new work in me. <laughs> actually, I remember it would be 38 years ago that I was 
I was pastoring a church in, in California, in Silicon Valley, and I was kind of the traditional pastor. I'm old enough that I remember platform days. Do you, anyone know what I mean by platform days? Those of you who are younger, you may never have seen this before, but in the old days, this platform would usually have a place for the pastor to sit, and the pastor would observe the congregation through all the congregational singing and the announcements and all the rest. I remember doing that, and it was kind of sweet in a way. As a pastor, I could look out, and whereas I know you, practically not at all, as a pastor who served for years with a congregation, I knew every story. So I could look at someone and go, okay, I know what they're wrestling with. Okay, oh, I know their history. Oh, I know what they're praying for. And it was kind of sweet. Uh, we've moved past that time, but it was long enough ago, 38 years ago, that we still had uh, the old way of doing church. There was Sunday morning. The line was, if you loved the church, you'd come to church on Sunday morning. And we always had Sunday evening service. And Sunday evening service, they said, was if you loved the pastor, you would come to the evening service. <laughs> and then there was the Wednesday night prayer service. And the line was, if you loved the church, you came Sunday morning. If you loved the pastor, you came Sunday night. But if you loved God, you came on Wednesday night to pray. Well, we had those services. I was pretty young. And on a Wednesday night, and I had an insight one week that I thought was pretty extraordinary. I could hardly wait to share it with my congregation that had shrunk on Wednesday nights from, you know, 300 on Sunday morning to 100 on Sunday night to about 25 to 30 on Wednesday night. And those 25 to 30 were always very gray-haired and senior saints. So here's this young man stepping up to deliver wisdom to the senior saints, and I said to them, you know, when I was younger, <laughs> I used to think that there were good days and bad days. And even as I've gotten older, I thought, you know what, there are good weeks and bad weeks. And now I'm learning there's good months and bad months, but you know what? There are good years and there are bad years. Well, apparently the way I said it struck this senior congregation in a funny way because I guess in my sincerity, uh, it was just humorous to them. They burst out into laughter. I mean, they literally just all started laughing at the same time. And I, ha I was really dumbstruck. I mean... I thought I was sharing this deep wisdom with them, and, and there was a guy named Gunner. He was sitting close to the front, and I said, Gunner, what is so funny? And he said, well, Pastor, when you get to be our age, you realize there are good decades and there are bad decades. <laughs> well, I'm probably close to what Gunner's age was at the time, and I have kind of found that to be true. We all walk through difficult times. Sometimes they're short-lived, and sometimes it's just a series of events. As a pastor, I remember being frustrated with, with congregants, not everyone, just some, who seemed to move from crisis to crisis. And they were just always so demanding. They needed so much encouragement and help. And then later in life, when I became 
a person who was moving from crisis to crisis, I had a lot more sympathy for them. Some ways we, we look at the scripture and the things that we wrestle with and we realize we're not alone. We all, in some ways, move from crisis to crisis in this world. If it's, if it's a personal crisis, family crisis, congregational crisis, a work crisis, political crisis, national crisis, international crises, because we've got the news blaring at us 24-7 these days. So how do we respond when life isn't working? That's my question today. And I thought I would just share with you a, a couple psalms, just a couple quick looks at two different angles when life isn't working. First of all, when life isn't working personally, turn to Psalm 57, if you will, please. I can read it. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. You can listen. But Psalm 57 is a psalm of David. And remember I said last week, why should I flee to the mountains? And this time, by the way, I've fled to the cave. So at least he didn't go on the mountain. He went under it. Um, maybe that's a good thing. He's in the cave hiding from King Saul. If you want to read more of the context of this, you could go to 1 Samuel chapter 24, and it would flesh that out for you. I think I was going to read that, but I think I'm going to just have you trust me on it. David writes, Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me, for in you my soul takes refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends his love and his faithfulness. Then he begins to describe his, his life not working. I'm in the midst of lions. I lie among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Has anyone ever had someone say something negative to you, about you? Isn't that remarkable? Some people just have such great wisdom that they need to share our failings with us. <laughs> Everybody, anybody ever have that? Remember, not, not everyone raises their hand, but if you've ever had that, go ahead and raise your hand. And the rest of you that never raise your hand, that's okay. We know you want to. In the midst of lions, what do lions do? You know, I think it's Peter who describes Satan going around like a roaring lion. And I, I've read that before, and I think, what do lions do? Well, lions tear. They chase you down. They go for the neck. They shred you. They destroy you. David is saying he's in the midst of lions. He says they're men. They're men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. I, I used to be more wounded by people's comments. I'm a soft and tender heart. 
I'm sorry. You don't know me well enough to know my sarcasm. Um, no, I'm a nice guy. I just ask. And, um, but I, I did, when I was younger, used to take people's rebukes and sharp words more seriously. Some of you don't know the work that I do now, but I, I coach people, and one of the things I coach in is, is self-esteem, um, self-acceptance, and the like. And, and there's a truth that I have come across that um, helped me deal with people with their sharp, sword-like tongues. You see, when someone says something to us that is hurtful, and we're hurt by it, it's not because of what they've said. It's because what we say to ourselves after they're done. So if I were to uh, have someone say to me, hey, you're so stupid, I could either go, well, how, how does this person think that I'm stupid? They don't know me. They've never been in a classroom with me. They don't know my process of thought. I could kind of all wash it away. Or... They say, ah, you're so stupid, and I say, oh, how did they find out so fast? <laughs> Sharp words, we can control our response to those. There's a whole bunch of lessons around that, but David is surrounded, he's in the midst of men whose tongues are sharp swords. His response, be exalted, O God. Above the heavens, let your glory be over all the earth. Now he comes back to these people who are after him. This is when life's not working personally. You get this? They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path. You get the idea that these people just want David to fall, to be destroyed, to be undone. But they have fallen into it themselves. Then he comes back to faith. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the stars, to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. So the first thing that I would just point out, I mean, it's just all generic here, I guess, in the sense that Psalm 57, David is responding to, life is not working for me. I trust you, O God. Did you hear that? In fact, he, he paints this picture right at the very beginning. I will, in verse 1, I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the, the disaster has passed. We, I'm joining you now, we as a congregation are in a moment individually with Mitch's health concerns. Need to find refuge. And the best place individually is to find refuge in the shadow of God's wings. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Now, the reason I call this the tale of two psalms is I, I wanted to point out that there is 
there is this concern when life isn't working as an individual, we can climb into the cave, <laughs> be under the shadow of God's wing, and, and find safe space and solitude, safety. But there's a second psalm that I really like, and it has something that I need to share with you for today. And this is more, not so much the question of when life isn't working for me personally, but what if we say the world isn't working? That's a little bit of what I said last week. By the way, I, last week, you might remember, it was older, deeper, higher, and I, I had to talk to a friend this week, and they asked how it went here, and I shared with them the message, and I, I summed it up in about maybe 30 seconds, maybe 45 seconds to adjust. I don't know. <laughs> but then I realized, wow, I could have made that sermon a whole lot shorter for you. So I, I hope we can all be older, remembering God is older than our problems, that he wants to do a deeper work and lift our values to the highest place. Now, this psalm, Psalm 46, sometimes called Luther's psalm because he, he wrote, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, based off of this psalm. This psalm says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. Heard this earlier. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in an uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He does make war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shadows, shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. And hear this verse, verse 10. You know it, probably. It shifts at this point. Everything up to this point in this psalm, it's the psalmist writing about God. And then God intercedes, intervenes in the text. There, it's fascinating to me. It's like you're thinking David is writing this psalm and the Holy Spirit is prompting him to say these things about God and how God is there for us. And, you know, when the when the world is falling apart, when, when, our li when the life of our world, when nations, just everything isn't working. And then all of a sudden, God steps in and speaks himself <laughs> directly. He says, be still and know that I am God. I had this text planned long before I knew about Mitch and his health. But I thought this week, how perfect is God's timing to bring to us this reminder 
that when everything seems to be falling apart, when we don't know what's going on, when we are fearful, when, when the anxiety grows in us, when we can't see the future, God says to us directly, be still and know that I am God. Now this be still doesn't mean necessarily sit in your chair and don't move. There is probably some element to that. You know, there's a lot of us that just have a lot of nervous energy all the, going all the time. Sometimes our brains are just working overtime all the time. Sometimes you can't go to sleep because your brain is racing. Anyone ever been there? And God's response to us in the midst of everything not working is be still. And that means be quiet. In fact, some translations out of the Hebrew say quiet. Be quiet. Let your mind be quiet. Let your body be still, but quiet your mind. And what do we do in the midst of that quietness? He says, and know that I am God. When was the last time that you just sat down and you were quiet before God and listened for his voice and, and know that he is God? How do we know? What does it mean to know? Well, knowing can be like, I know math. I experience it. One plus one equals two. I kind of lost it a little later in school after that, but geometry was okay. So we know by experience. It's not just head knowledge. It's heart knowledge. It, it's knowing that you know. Does that make sense? Knowing that you know. Be still and know experience who he is, experience God. It's not an easy thing to do. I do know that. I guess I've mentioned along the way that uh, I dropped out of ministry for those five years. I was doing, doing my own consulting practice, did fairly well at it, and then the dot, I was working mostly in Bellevue with uh, software companies, and then the dot-com bust happened and I lost $10,000 a month in income, which was all of it, by the way. Um, and so it, we fell on hard times, my wife and I. And we went to a really good church. Uh, some of you might know that church, but we went to a, a good, healthy, strong church. They had a benevolent fund. And as it was coming close to the time to pay our mortgage, my wife said to me, I think you need to go and humble yourself and ask about the benevolent fund. And I did. And the church paid our mortgage. And another month went by. I don't know about your mortgage, but my mortgage is a healthy chunk of my expenses in a month. Well, Second month goes by, and I still am not generating enough income. And my wife says, I think you need to go talk to them about the benevolent fund. 
and I did. And they paid the mortgage again. Third month, things are really slow. I'm still not generating enough. And I go to the Lord and I say, Lord, do you want me to go to that benevolent fund again? And I heard very clearly from the Lord, as clearly as I've heard most things anyway, I heard, no, do not go. I was being still before the Lord, and so my wife said, well, it's, it's time for you to go and talk to the powers that be about the benevolent fund. I said, I'm not going to go. Why aren't you going to go? Because I think the Lord told me not to. Are you sure the Lord told you not to? I think so. So another week goes by, and it's getting closer to uh, the time to pay the mortgage. She comes to me again and said, well, I think you need to talk to the Lord or talk to the church about the benevolent fund again. I said, I can't do that. I have been still before the Lord, and I know he's God, and I'm being honest here. I can't, I can't go. I need to trust. Well, the day to pay the mortgage has come, and now it's gone. But you know how you have that two-week uh, grace period? Sometimes we like to take advantage of that. So now another week has gone by, and there's only one week left on the grace period, and my wife says, are you sure? And I said, I'm sure. And then it's the night before the last day of the grace period, and we're at a Bible study, and a man walks up to me that I hardly know. He says to me, Steve, God has been telling me to give you some money. And I think, well, that's nice, because we'd had a number of people, you know, give us gift cards, Safeway, and, you know, that kind of thing, and happy to receive it. He said, what I'd like for you to do is come to the house tomorrow, and my, I'll have a check written. My wife will, will be able to give it to you. And I said, that's fine, and thank you. <laughs> I didn't really expect a whole lot, but now it's the day the mortgage is due, even with the grace period. I drive over to his house. I, oh, I, I need to tell you this one more thing. He, he said, the Lord's been telling me for a month to, be, to give you this money, and I have been resistant. I have not wanted to be obedient, and he's pressuring me so much right now, I need to give you this money. Okay, okay I'll come get it tomorrow. And so I drive over, knock on the door. His wife gives me the check. I do that thing that we all do when someone gives us a nice little gift in an envelope and you can't see what's there. I drove around the corner, and I parked, and I opened up the envelope right away. And you know what was in there? A check for more than the amount of my mortgage. I was flabbergasted. Took it to the bank, deposited it, went home, called the mortgage company, made an online deposit, and all was good. And from that point on, God provided. But it was a real test of faith to come down to this moment when God says, be still and know that I am God. And then he says two things after that, two I wills. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. I think that God has given me that story that I haven't told a whole lot, maybe a half dozen times, 
just so we could be reminded that when we're still before the Lord, he will speak to us and we will know that he is God. And when it comes to times of crisis, when life is not working, we need to remember what God says, I will, he will. I told you I, I coach people, so one of the things I coach is, is goal setting. And you have to train people how to do effective goal setting. And a lot of times people will say, uh, you know, what's your goal? And they, they will write it out and it'll sound like this. I will try to, and I have to go back and I'll say, take out the word try, because every time you say try, it means you won't. Oh. And so I get them to say, I will. My goal is. But even then, there's still human frailty. Things happen. We live in a broken world. But when God says, I will, he has all the authority, all the power of the universe, more than that, behind him. His word is perfect. His promise is perfect. He will. Do you get that? He will. He says, I will. It's a done deal when God says, I will. He will be exalted in all the earth. He will be uh, exalted among the nations. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So, my word to us today is, in the midst of all the stuff that's going on, and it's not just the church stuff, but your own stuff, I don't know what your stuff is. I don't have the opportunity anymore to sit on the platform and look out and know you so well that I know your stories, that I know your concerns, I know your prayer requests, I know your hurts and your pains and your losses and your joys and your victories. I, I, I just don't have that, but God does. And he will exalt himself in your life. my final word to you and with this I close be still and know that he is God let's pray Heavenly Father we we each come with our own cartload of issues for some of us life may not be working well individually some of us well all of us live in a world that uh, isn't working really well and in the midst of our personal issues and our world issues, we know that you will be exalted. We do know that all things will work together for good to those who are called according to your purposes. I would ask, Father, for every individual here that they would just take a moment and quiet their minds even in this moment, maybe later today too, but just still their hearts, still their souls, and have a moment again when they know you are God and that we can all have a story to tell about knowing that God cares for us. I pray for this congregation as they wrestle through the feelings and all the emotions that go with, with Mitch's health crisis. 
I again pray for Debbie and the boys and their daughter-in-law that they would find their peace in you. May we all find our peace in you as we trust you. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you and have a wonderful afternoon. God blessed week.